Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and this is episode 12 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Max Baldwin from Sydney, Australia. In the late 1920s, when Max was just a baby, he was diagnosed with polio and lost use of one leg. But he didn't let polio define him. By his mid-twenties, he went on to represent Australia in the Olympic Games. He made history as the first disabled person to compete on an Australian Olympic team. I met Max through his son, Matt Baldwin, who sits down with me at the end of the episode to talk about the significance of sharing each other's stories. Matt is the host of Reading Between the Ink, a podcast that delves into the personal stories and meaning behind people's tattoos. I'll link to Matt's podcast and news articles about his father, Max, in the show notes on my website, carlena.net. That's C-A-R-L-E-E-N-A dot net. If you are watching our Skype conversation on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can help support the show by telling your friends about it and rating and reviewing on iTunes. If you love an episode, reach out to me and let me know. There's nothing more I love than hearing from listeners. Ask my mom or Debbie or Tom. And one more thing. Thank you, Stephen Lorca, for video editing and graphic design. Now I bring you Max Baldwin. Now, yeah. are you comfy there? Yeah, everything's right. You sure know? The sound levels. <laughs> yeah. So you just talk normally. Say hello. Hello. Well, hello there. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, th- th- these new apparatuses with uh, it's amazing. So uh, um, so good to speak to someone direct, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. And I just told my niece. I have a niece who's um, ten, and I just told her. I said, I'm going to talk to someone in Australia, and. It's Sunday for them and Saturday for us, and so she just thought that was so cool that we could have a yeah. conversation and look at each other and yeah. be yeah half a world away. So, yes, <laughs> gone to the days of a hundred years ago when it took months for just a letter to arrive. Right. Yeah. 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 So, does the audio sound okay? Is my voice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Audio okay. I can hear you clearly. Yes. Is audio okay on your end? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, and I'm recording here at this point in time. It's just okay. audio, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep, and everything's on. So if it's, you guys can take off, I'll get. I'll be in the background somewhere, but okay. I'll just get some water as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. How can I help you? Well, hello there. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm really honored to have you. Um, to sit down across from you and. And hear your story. Um, Matt's told me a little bit about you, so no, I hope he didn't exaggerate. <laughs> well, he uh, no, I, I think he he just uh, you know he wrote a few a few things that I'm going to ask you about. I hope that's okay. <laughs> okay, you ask me, and I'll try and answer them. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, um, so. So why don't you bring me back to um, tell me about your what you remember from your childhood, what your remem- what your first memories are. Um. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Well, I lived in a country town up on the north coast of New South Wales, uh-huh. 
a place called Ballina, and I lived there, would you believe, uh, we were in the Depression years, mm-hmm. and my er- early memory, I lived in a, in a tent on the, on the banks of a canal. Wow. With my, yeah, that's, that's my first memories. I can't remember much about when I was stricken with polio. That was when I was a year and eight months old. Okay. So my first, my first impressions of, uh, was uh, when I was about three, and then from then on was when I uh, had to go from Ballina to uh, Sydney mm-hmm. to see if they could cure this polio. But uh, okay, yeah. so yeah. when you were living in a tent, um, how old were you? Three. You were three. Okay. And did you have any siblings yeah. or? Yeah, I had a two brothers and a sister. Okay. Are you the youngest? I am the second eldest. The second eldest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was only about a year between all of them, you know. Okay. And um, what did your parents do for, for a living? Uh, my dad was a cook for a and in the season for cane gangs, you understand what a cane gang is? No. <laughs> sugar, sugar cane. Oh, okay. All these, oh, they used to cut these canes, uh, and they used to be done manually. Uh-huh. And uh, there'd be gangs of them, maybe a dozen, and uh, he was uh, the cook, and he used to cook all their meals for them, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then but, what about your mom? No, she looked after us. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so it was you, and you said you had three. You were the second eldest. Uh, yeah, and then two below me. Oh, yeah. okay. When I, when I say three, I'll be closer to four, you know, at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then um, you were how old? You were 18 months when you? A year, a year and six months when I got polio, yeah. When you got polio. Do you remember anything from that time? No, no, no. no. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, um, how old? You said that you moved to Sydney after. Well, I went to Sydney to the children's hospital in Sydney, and I was there for three months, and uh, it was a very miserable time. Tell me about that. Because, what, what do you remember? Well, uh, when you're only a small child, uh, we'll say three, four. And when you um, uh, are taken with your father, uh, something like 500 miles, whatever it was, mm-hmm. from where I lived up in Balladella, and then when you, uh, I can still see my dad today, he um, was admitted into this ward where there was about six other beds with all these little kids in it, mm-hmm. children in it, and uh, then he, uh, I can still see him, he walked to the end of the ward turned around, give me a wave, and um, uh, there I was for three months. And when you've been taken from your parents and uh, placed in a hospital ward and um, everything was, those days, was white, white uh, nurses in white, uh, everything was white. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and being a small child like that, uh, it was a very, very miserable time, I can assure you, you know. Yeah. Not, yeah. But anyway, nothing could be done, and I went back home. And then the next time I went to uh, uh, Sydney was to see um, a sister, Kenny. Have you ever heard of her? No. 
she was uh, well. The um, the Americans know a lot about her. Mm-hmm. They took her over there, and she had some uh, uh, ways of uh, treating poliomyelitis, which mm-hmm. was called infantile paralysis in those days. Mm. And she um, she had a look at my leg and said, "Bad luck." <laughs> oh, didn't say that, but uh, nothing could be done. Uh-huh. So that was that was uh, my worst experience as a small child. And you were times three in, or four when that happened. When I, when, I, when I saw her, I would have been possibly five. Yeah. Okay. At so, the time. <clears throat> so the time that you were left in the hospital for three months—that was when you were three yeah. or four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then. Uh, the next trip was when I came down to see the sister Kenny, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they have made the the Americans made a film about her, oh. and uh, she was uh, um, welcomed in America in those years. You know? uh-huh. What was her yeah. name again? What was her name? Hmm? Her, her sister name? Kenny. Sister, sister Kenny. Kenny. Okay, Kenny. I'll look her up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so. When you went when you went to the hospital the first time, did you were you able to walk on your other leg at that point or did never? No, no, no. Oh, what what I used to do in those days it was the same length in those days that I used to put my hand on my knee uh-huh. and lock the knee out, and then I used to sort of bend over and just hobble around. Very very difficult. Did you have and a then, crutch? No, no. At that time, I had my legs. In uh, calipers, you know, metal gadgets, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when sis- when I saw Sister Kenny, she suggested I get these crutches that I, st- I wear today, you know, this, the, that design, you know. Okay, so yeah. she she suggested that you start using the crutches. And is that when you started um, using them and, and walking with the one yeah. light? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and before that, you hadn't been able to walk or? Uh, I used to hobble around. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, and so your your siblings were gymnasts? No, no, no. no. Or acrobats? Uh, well, well, we didn't, I didn't get involved in sport uh-huh. until I was about more 17, okay. 18. Okay, okay, okay. So we'll get to well, that. Well, yeah, and yeah. we'll get to that in a, in a second. So let's go back to your to your childhood. So... Um, so you were five when you met Sister Kenny, and yeah. then and so what? What other memories do you have of those early years of your childhood? Uh, well, school was about uh, three miles away. We lived out when we moved out of a tent, which was blown down by a storm. And we moved into an old wooden house, uh-huh. and um, it was about three miles from the town, from school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't attend school until I was seven years of age. So it was rather uh, um, hard because when you're seven and you go to school and children around you are five uh, years of age, you were the big big boy of the class. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't mean that you were that smart just because you were a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you have to walk to school three miles? No, what happened, I, eventually I used to be carried from my house to the uh, a road where a bus used to go down, mm-hmm. and that was about oh, half a mile, three-quarters of a mile, and my parents used to carry me, and my mother used to carry me down there, put me on the bus, I'd go to school, and then when I got 
back to the um, to the drop-off spot. Uh, I'd get off the, off there, and sometimes there'd be um, there was a big um, cattle yard there, and they used to sell cattle. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, from there to my place and past my place, where the cattle road was, uh, sometimes a um, um, a, a drover on a horse would pick me up and uh, I would sit on the back of a horse and um, he'd give me a lift home, you know, and, but yeah. that used to happen, yeah. And so when the when the bus took you to school, was there someone there waiting to help you get off the bus? No, uh, not really. How did, you, how did you manage that? Oh, I used to hop out, you know. When you've got a disability, you learn mm-hmm. to look after yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. And um, and so tell me more about your what you remember of your your early years up until you started um, uh, gymnastics with your siblings. Well, uh, sport in those days for disabled people was non-existent. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, at uh, at school, uh, most of the time I'd be a uh, a marker or a, something like that to, uh, but never a, a participant in sport, you know, because the, because you had a disability, you didn't compete, you know. So what do you mean but, by uh, a marker? Well, when you when you score, you know, you're going to check the uh, the runners as they come over the line, or mm. you know, or when they're playing s- a cricket, putting the scores down, or you know, mm. things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but not nothing physical. You understand? Right. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did mm. that how did that affect you? Uh, it was disappointing. <clears throat> Excuse me, disappointing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, everyone likes to be in the group. Mm-hmm. You know yourself. You don't like to be on the outside. And um, so schooling was um, not a very happy place. You know, mm-hmm. not a very happy place. And when you when you got a disability in a, there too, you you uh, you get bullied, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my earliest memories of that was uh, uh, I'd be in the yard and and a kid would come up behind you and push you over and mm-hmm. uh, things like that, you know. But uh, you you got revenge because um, yeah, when a lot of boys are playing in a schoolyard at um, after been running around for a while. They need a drink of water, don't they? Mm-hmm. So you so you waited around where the tap was, and um, when they came, then you grabbed them and you got your revenge. <laughs> you give them a whack, whack in the ear, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's always there's, al- there's always ways to uh, uh-huh. you get, you know. Yeah. To, uh, Did you have? Were there any? Um, any other students or teachers who were an ally to you, who helped helped you out, or? Uh, one teacher was very good. I mean, they used to call me. My nickname in those days was Yamstick Hoppy. Now, <laughs> Yamstick is a Aboriginal name. Oh, and okay. Hoppy, uh, and so uh, they used to call me Yamstick Hoppy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that stuck with me all my school years. You know, it was right. Hoppy or. Yamstick Hoppy, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the teachers, uh, one teacher in particular said, the next time I hear someone call Baldwin Yamstick Hoppy, he gets four, and after some of the kids got four, uh, four canes, or whacks of the cane, you understand? Oh, four canes, okay, uh-huh, yeah. Four, 
uh, they stopped calling me Yamstick Hoppy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, when I look back, who cares, you know? Right. It was that was life. That was life. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and. So how long had your siblings been doing gymnastics at this point? Oh, uh, they didn't start doing that until they – my sister was a very good dancer, a mm. national dancer, you know, the Highland Fling and the Scottish dancers and all those sort of things, and she was very good. And then when we moved to Sydney, when I was about 14, mm-hmm. uh, we moved to Sydney, and uh, then she went to one of these acrobatic classes and – she became a very good acrobat, and my brother too, a professional acrobats, and they um, enticed me there to go up to their uh, the gym where they used to do all their practice, and uh, that's where I got involved, you know, in gymnastics, mm-hmm. and that led to to other sports as well. So, but uh, so um, so your this was your older sister and your younger brother. No, my sister was the youngest in the family. Okay, so it was the and youngest my bro- sister. And my brother was next to me, below me. It was okay. my brother below me and my sister, and they were professional acrobats. Oh, yeah. okay. They're both younger than you. And so they encouraged yeah. you to go to the um, the gymnasium yeah, well, they, with them? Yeah. Hmm? yeah. They, okay. And so were um, when you went with them the first few times, did you think that you were going to do gymnastics too, or did you just kind of go to watch and then they encouraged you or how did that work oh i just went there and i could see that they what they were doing and some of them were things they were doing like hand balancing and all that sort of thing and i thought i'll give it a go and um, i used to strap my leg together and so that the, the bad one didn't fall out of the you know and then i just got better and better and better until i found out that a lot of the things i was doing was much better uh, than a lot of the people there you know Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I, um, from there, doing after doing gymnastics, I joined YHA. You know YHA, Youth Hostel Association. Oh, okay. A, it's yeah. an international youth hostel. Where a lot of people travel mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And I joined. I joined that, and that led me to all the other sports such as um, uh, canoeing, skiing, and all those sort of things. You know. <clears throat> And how old were you when you did when you started canoeing? Uh, about twenty. Okay, so you did gymnastics for about <clears throat> since you were fourteen. Uh, no, I was about eighteen when I started gymnastics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but in, in those years, from fourteen up to eighteen, I did nothing. Okay, you just went there to watch, or did you practice? Yeah. No, I just went there. To, well, you know, I, I just didn't go there then. Like, Eighteen oh. to fourteen, I had my own life, you know, doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, what was it that um, that made you decide that you wanted to try gymnastics? Well, I mean, why do you want to try? It? Was, I felt I was reasonably good at it, and so I thought it, it just was another a sport, and so you just uh, right. pursued it, you know. And of course. Uh, as I always say, uh, doors open. You either walk through, or you walk past. Mm-hmm. And if you walk, if you walk into the through the door, well, I mean, it's, you get introduced to uh, all sorts of uh, activities and things, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. how do you think your your younger brother and younger sister? Um, 
were, do you think that they were excited to see you try gymnastics and no, I don't just it. I was just one of the mob, I suppose, one of the family. No, there's nothing uh-huh. nothing startling. I mean, you know, they yeah. had their own life, their own activities and right. where, where in those days they were professionals <clears throat> and I was just a, I was an amateur. That's a big difference in those days in sport. Uh-huh. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I saw, I looked on, there's a, an article online um, with pictures of you. From, oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, they're quite mm. impressive. One hand balancing, holding on someone's head, and that's, mm. <laughs> that's pretty, mm. that's very impressive. Yeah. And was, yeah. was that in your teens, those pictures? Yeah, that, that, that was when I was in the early 20s, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. and of course in those days, uh, uh, I uh, put together a little act with another friend of mine, and we used to do all these amateur shows in all sorts of places, you know, all the exhibitions and things. Uh-huh. And we we became we became very uh, popular as far as demand for us to do these things. I think the main thing was that when you uh, a bloke walks out on crutches and uh, starts doing those things. It sort of opened people's eyes a little bit because you never saw it in those days, you know. Right. If you had a dis, if you were a disability, you're classified as a cripple, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's the way it was, you know. There was not there was nothing for uh, disabled people in the, not like today when you got the Paralympics and all sorts of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. like that, you know. Right. I'm going back, you know, sixty years, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you started canoeing when you were in your early twenties. Yep. Yeah. And what right. what got you into that, or how'd you? Oh, uh, just at uh, this YHA Youth Hostel, they had a canoe club, mm-hmm. and I just I just did uh, little um, canoe trips and uh, down the rivers and all that sort of thing. And then they had a, uh, uh, a they had a carnival every year, and so I went to this carnival and. Participated in a few races over a couple of hundred meters and won them quite easily. And of course, from then on, it was just accelerated until eventually, the, someone told me that there was a, uh, canoeing in the Olympics, and so that's where I set my eyes on that. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think all of the upper body strength from the gymnastics helped with the canoeing? Well, a lot that did to a degree, but when you're walking with crutches uh-huh. and you're using your legs, your your arms or your legs, mm. you get a lot of you get a lot of development there. So and so that com- combined with gymnastics, um, you know, uh-huh. yeah, shoulders, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how old were you when you were in the Olympics? Uh, twenty-seven. You were at twenty-seven. 20. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. And had you had you prepared for the Olympics for um, a few years before that? Did you were you planning no, I, to go in the Olympics, well, or how did that work out? Well, I didn't start uh, thinking about the Olympics until about a year before mm. the Olympics, which were which were in 1956 in Melbourne mm-hmm. and and uh, in Victoria, and uh, so. Uh, um, Someone said that there was. I found out there was the canoeing in the Olympics. Up until then, I was quite ignorant of that. 
Mm-hmm. And because of the Australian, we'd never competed uh, in canoeing in the Olympics ever. So we were the first time we've ever have ever put a team into a canoeing team into the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so then I just said, well, that started me off. And from then on, for the next year, it was just hard work, you know, mm-hmm. hard work, hard work. Mm-hmm. Because the thing you, the thing you got to remember is that making the Olympics is 10 times harder than competing in the Olympics. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> well, I mean, you can spend a, a whole year training and then you come to the trials and there's only one race mm-hmm. and you've got to come either first or second in that trial race. And if you just get pipped and only come in third and get beaten by a split second, mm-hmm. then the whole year that you've spent training, you've lost it. You didn't make it. Right. But, so, so making the Olympics is a lot harder than competing in the Olympics because when you've made the Olympics, you're Olympian mm-hmm. and you compete. Well, I mean, you're there to compete and you know you've made it to the Olympics, you know. Right. But, make, but making the Olympics is, is the toughest thing you've ever tried for, you know. Yeah. Not easy. Not easy. When you think of all the sacrifices that you put into it, you know. Yeah. Can you remember um, – that that year and maybe a couple of stories of of um, the training. Well, most of the training, I suppose, it was when we uh, it was the, I used to drive a taxi cab in the day between uh, two o'clock until twelve o'clock, and oh. then I'd get home, and then I'd uh, have a sleep, get up at seven o'clock, go out to the river. And train there until eleven o'clock. Come home, have a shower, have a lunch, and then go and drive a cab again. So that oh. I, I drove the cabs of a night time, so that I could train of a daytime. And when did and you so sleep? It, well, only between uh, twelve o'clock and seven o'clock every night. Okay. Because I got I used, to, I used to get home from driving the cab at twelve o'clock, mm-hmm. and I, and then I'd be up at uh, seven uh, out to the river. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And and then on Saturday, I'd do a double shift on the cab to make enough money to you know to survive. Mm-hmm. And then on then on Sunday, I'd do six hours on the training. You know. Okay. Spread, spread, spread over the day. So as I say, making the Olympics is ten times harder than competing in the Olympics. Yeah. Once you, yeah, people okay. don't realise that, but it's it's a tough. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. So tell me what you what you remember from the Olympics when you do you remember the opening ceremonies and just tell me everything you remember. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, I mean when you're an Olympian, you're an Olympian, which in those days was uh, uh you had to be a true blue amateur. There was no money involved. Mm-hmm. It cost you a lot of time, cost you a lot of money. And um, to make it, and then to go to the opening ceremony, which is a uh, uh, you know, big deal, and you're marching there representing your country. It's uh, and when you think in my life, being a um, stricken with polio, it never ever entered my mind that I'd ever be an Olympian. I mean, you think about it. If if you've got a, a crook leg and uh, you know, in those days, there was no uh, concessions for people with disabilities. You had to compete with the mob. 
Mm. You know, you, you had to compete against everyone, so there was no concessions whatsoever. Yeah. So when you think when you think of when you got polio in those days or a disability, you know there was, uh, mm -hmm. it was that's the way it was. You know, you, mm -hmm. it was tough. It was hard going, yeah. and being a you had to be a true blue amateur. You know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. And how did people, um, either other Australians or other people, um, other competitors? How did they respond to you um, when they? In what way? Well, did anybody say anything because of your disability or? Um, oh, there was a there was a few articles written up about me, you know, about, uh -huh. you know, how it was, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, you were just you were just one of the mob, which was was good. Although a lot of people realised that uh, I was the first disabled person. In an Australian Olympic team, so wow. that, that's well. That's what yeah. they. That's what. That's what they tell me anyway. Yeah. 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 Wow. So disabled disabled people didn't get much recognition in those days, you know. Right, yeah. and the the Paralympics didn't start until the sixties, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And now it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a big event now, you know. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um so what else do you remember um from the Olympics? What other memories oh, stick well, out in your mind? Just 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 making it, you know, going in the race and doing your best and uh, that's how it goes, you know. Yeah. Did you have family there? Watching you? Oh yeah, and my my wife and uh, my uh, brother, the youngest one under me, and my father, you know, and uh, that, that was they came down and uh, cheered me on, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that was a, a proud moment for them. I'm sure it was, you know, but uh, and a lot of lot of the uh, to achieve that was through their help, you know. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about that, you know. So that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And how old were you when you met your wife? Uh, about uh, let me think. Twenty-four, I think it was. Yeah, twenty-four. You know. Yeah. Oh, we'd, okay. we we'd, we'd ha we had a little child at that time, a little little girl. So. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, um, where where did you meet your wife? Uh, at a youth hostel, a skiing hostel down in a place called Kyandra, uh -huh. where the youth hostel had this hostel there, and you went down there and uh, it was on the uh, snowfields in Kyandra, uh, uh, which is down near Mount Kosciuszko, and um, she was there and. Um, for a week, and that's where we met. She was a um, keen skier, and uh, and I'd only just started skiing. It was my second trip there, and uh, yeah, so okay. that's all that happened, happened there. Okay, so so you you were a skier too, and you did you compete in um, yeah. the free track in skiing? Uh huh. Tell me about that. Oh, I don't know. I was when I first went down there. Uh, I'd never been skiing, and so I, there I was in a snowfield trying to ski, 
and uh, with uh, pushing myself along with my crutches and uh, it just didn't work and uh, I was falling over everywhere and uh, and so that's the way it was and then at the time there there was a Frenchman there uh, traveling with the youth hostels and he said to my friend who was uh, had come from France uh, he said that um, about over in Europe all these blokes with disabilities, particularly one-legged blokes, they had a, a, a technique that they put these crutches and they put little skis on the ends of their crutches and one ski on their leg and it was called three-track skiing because when you went down the slope you left three tracks, two oh. for the little ones. And so he suggested I get these um, skis made, which mm -hmm. I did. And then the next year I went down and from then on it was, just, uh, you know, where you go. It was pretty good. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. So yeah. so he was from France and he was yeah. um, at a youth hostel in Australia and that's where yeah. you met him? Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. what, what was that like going down the the ski slope for the first time with your well i've got to admit that of all the sports that i participated in skiing was the most thrilling oh yeah because yeah it was it always has been and you know yeah all the other sports a lot of them were hard like canoeing was hard work uh-huh <laughs> yeah but no skiing is uh, was you know it was good so i spent a lot of time skiing every year and uh, yeah, and eventually bought a place down in the Kosciuszko, Mount Kosciuszko area, which I still have down there. And uh, I skied up until I was 75 years of age. And, uh, yeah. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, and so that was the first time you went down there, you met the man from France. And then the second yeah. time you met your wife? Uh, correct. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and where was she from? Sydney. Yeah, she from Sydney. Yeah. Uh -huh. A place called a place called Ranwick, a suburb of Sydney. You know. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So yeah. you were both kind of on vacation for a week. So uh, that's we were there for a week. Yeah, that's uh -huh. correct. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Did you ski yeah. together? Uh, well, not really. <laughs> I mean. When two-legged skiers and one-legged skiers don't ski together, you know they oh okay they do the, they do their own thing. You know, each, everyone's different. You know, the technique and everything is different. You know. Okay, yeah. okay, but you would see each other in the evening at the hostel. Of course. So tell me what yeah. a hostel is like, and what what year was that? Was that in the fifties? Uh, in about nineteen fifty-two, fifty-three, something like that. Okay, so tell me what what a youth hostel is like in in the nineteen fifties. Well, you went say you went to Coimbra. You paid uh, about fourteen dollars a week, and that gave you uh, skiing lessons, accommodation, and meals three meals a day. And of course, uh, what happens that you had to. Uh, do all the housework there, you know, to do, clean the place, and everyone was allocated a job to clean the place, and it was uh, mostly young people, and uh, it was a, a good, you were sort of isolated altogether in that one uh, hostel for a whole week, and so you certainly got to know everyone, and 
it was a rather a pleasant time, you know. Yeah. And where were people traveling from? Oh, mostly from Sydney. Yeah, Sydney. And some of them from not so much the skiing, but other youth hostels. So they travel from all over the world, you know, because there's the youth hostels all over Australia, the same as over in Europe. And I, I don't know whether they're in America, but I suppose there are there too, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. And in the, in the 1950s, um, when you were traveling there, did you meet any Americans? <laughs> No. No. Okay. No, no, okay. No. 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 Okay. No. I'm t I, I met some Americans in the skiing business. Uh, one fellow I still who lives in San Francisco, and uh, I've been over visiting him over there, and he comes over here every. He spends six months here and six months there, and uh, yeah, I met him in the gymnastic field. You know. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I met. But you meet a lot of people from all over the world in those youth hostels. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so then, um, let's see. So you, you did skiing, and then did you do canoeing at the, around the same time frame, or? Um, um, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right, I did. Okay, okay. Yeah, and yeah. did you mostly compete in the, in the 50s, or did you compete after? In the fifties. Okay. Yeah, in the fifties, after the Olympics, I, had a, I stopped in it for a year. But I, when you're married and got a small child, you got to earn mm -hmm. money. In those days, you know. Okay. You had to, you had to be a true blue amateur. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah. And so now, did you work? Um, you worked as a uh, you drove a taxi, and then what other type of work did you do? I worked for the YMCA for 10 years, YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, and then I worked for the Police Citizens Boys Clubs for 19 years, and then I had my own business uh, equipping our gymnasiums and um, retractable seating and all that sort of stuff in gymnasiums, yeah. So what did you do in the the, the was it the YMCA YMCA and the and the uh, uh, well the YMCA I was the physical director there which meant that I um, um, conducted all the physical activities and gymnastics and judo and all that sort of basketball and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. and in the police boys clubs all I did was uh, run gymnastic clinics and run gymnastic competitions and things like that yeah okay yeah. Do you yeah. have any any memories or any any events that happened while you were working there? No, no. Just as it was in, I mean, there's uh, two type of jobs that you get. One you get paid well, but you hate it, and other jobs that you get paid poorly, but you you love it. You know, and in my case, I mean, the jobs that ever I've had were most enjoyable. You know. Mm-hmm. Doing yeah. physical things, and when you were as a young bloke, those sort of things never entered your mind. Mm -hmm. you know, it was the last, last thing you ever, you know, ever yeah. thought would ever happen. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> so, how many children do you have? Three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Two boys, two boys and a girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Um, so do you think it, um, how do you think, how do you think they felt growing up with a father that was 
in the Olympics and um, oh, oh <laughs> I'm sure they were quite proud of the fact yeah you know, uh -huh. I, I doubt whether they've been anything but but proud of the fact yeah that's yeah. right yeah yeah because I mean uh, not too many blokes on crutches achieve those sort of things yeah I mean mm -hmm. the people in those days, underestimated you. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the one of the things I tell frequently, not frequently, but when I get the chance, that uh, that where I was working for the police boys club, there was a squash court, and I started to practice playing hitting the squash ball, hitting the squash ball, and I've been quite very good at uh, that. Mm -hmm. And I, then, then I entered a competition, a team competition, and it was amazing that uh, how you could uh, suck these competitors in, because when you walked onto the court with on, on a, with a one crutch and a, and a racket, and they look at you and they think, oh, well, <laughs> knock, knock this old bloke over, <laughs> and and so what you did, you sucked them in because when you did the warm up. You made sure that you didn't play but hit the ball very well, and so you hit the ball so that it was terrible. Uh -huh. And they looked at you and they thought, you know, who's this old bloke? And then as soon as the game started, of course you played your very best. And of course, before long, you're walking out the court, the winner, and they're walking out the court <laughs> dejected. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it was, it was quite, quite, a, quite, quite pleasant actually. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the other thing yeah. that what I say is that you should never underestimate anyone. Yeah. You know, yeah. regardless mm -hmm. of who or what they are, never underestimate them because you never want to know what they can achieve. You know? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um. So have you? Um, when you were working at the the YMCA or the the boys club, did you meet um, other? Did you meet children or other people who had um, a disability? No, a few, not very many, not very many, no, not very many. And the no. few, the few that you met, do you think that they looked up to you and kind of aspired to be like like you or to? Uh, I, I don't know. I think I still a lot of the people that I used to teach. Um, if I'm well, it's, it's quite frequent if I go into the shopping complexes or in the eastern suburbs where I live now, and and I used to teach at also PE at Marsland College for a few years there as well. And a lot of those students um, tap me on the shoulder. In fact, um, only a couple of days ago. I, Fellow sent me an email saying that there was some reunion on with these young blokes that I used to be involved with, you know. So, uh -huh. but no, no, a lot of they all uh, the number of people. It's amazing how they uh, still say hello to me. So, you know, uh, even now or oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. After all these years, you know. And they must be how old? But, Oh, in their sixties now, I suppose. Yeah, in their early in their early sixties, around the sixty mark, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and they're still remembering yeah. you as a yeah. as a, as a oh, mentor. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so how do you think 
things have changed since the 1920s as far as um, just how society kind of um, makes things more accessible for people who have a disability here. Well, everything's so much more accessible for disabled people now. They like Mm -hmm. even even getting on a bus now, they have a, you know, this, you know, or on a tram or, or there's uh, uh, pathways and and everything goes down. I mean, there's disabled people now get so much help now. I mean, compared to in my day, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. You, know? you got mm-hmm. nothing. But nowadays, I mean, as I – we live in paradise, you know, I mean, because mm-hmm. of the, all the help that disabled people get. And they still complain, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I see that you know you kind of help to pave the way and and show people what is possible for for someone who has had a disability yeah. and to do everything yeah, that well, you've done. There was nothing. There was no in my childhood. There was nothing for you. Know, you got nothing. You know. Yeah. And, and of course, when you look back at it, in my childhood, it was in the depression years, which. Right. In America, all over the world, I mean, everyone was suffering and uh, right. there, was, there was no gifts in those days, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you had to work for it. But uh, looking back on my life, I've had a very um, uh, successful life physically and financially and all the rest of it and a good family, can't complain about anything, so uh, I'm quite happy, you know. Yeah. At, at, and at my age, I mean, uh, you know, that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And it, yeah. But there's, I participated in a lot of sports and, um, you know, from uh, gymnastics, canoeing, skiing, squash, all those things. And, uh, you know. Yeah. But what, I, I, I competed not as a, a disabled person, but as a person, same as them, you know, I yeah. took, there was, there was no, uh, uh, what do we say, um, bonus points if you were disabled, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. but today, today there's so much sport and things for disabled people and it's unbelievable, you yeah. know? which is good, which is good, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, is there, is there anything else, any other parts of your of your story that uh, that you want to share? Anything else that we didn't mention? Uh, no, not really. You know, I mean, you know, uh, as I tell everyone, anything that's worthwhile can't come easy, mm-hmm. and without toil, fuel triumph. You know. Yeah. So that's that's the way it is. But there's a lot of little things and things, but you know, but but the main thing is that uh, making the Olympics, uh, which is. Uh, and then uh, getting the Order of Australia medal. For my achievements and uh, all the different award life membership, the gymnastics association, all these sort of things were bonuses that you you never dreamed of when you're uh, an eighteen year old. You know. Yeah. 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 So, but you only got to look back at your own life, and you, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you never thought you'd be doing today. Yeah. Back there when, when you were. A teenager. You know. Yeah. Well, I never thought I'd be having a have a podcast and be talking to you. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so right. So this is that's a highlight. Right. This is a highlight right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But so, there's a lot of little things that you know that you could talk about. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. But well, good. That's, that's yeah. Anyway, it's been nice talking to you. It's been very it's nice a, talking to you as well. Thank you for sharing your story with me. It's amazing how um, here I am sitting near you're over in America, thousands of miles away, and uh, we're <laughs> saying hello to one another face to face. Yeah. It is amazing. It is amazing. And it's it's a Sunday morning for you and a Saturday night for me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You're ready to go out, eh? (laughs) Oh, no. I'm I'm getting ready to go to bed. I go to bed at (laughs) (laughs) 8. What's the time now there? It's 7.45. (laughs) Oh, it's only early yet. Yeah. Well, I usually, I start getting ready for bed at 8 and then I go to bed at 8.30. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But still, it's, 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 it's really incredible to to sit down and uh, across from you and, and hear your story. So thank you yeah, for sharing yeah. it with me. Okay, well, I hope I can tell you everything clearly enough. But Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get Matthew and he can fix. Where are you, Matt? I'm here. Yeah. I'm in the background. Yeah, is there anything else I should tell this lady? I don't know. I went out and did put the washing out for a little while, so I kind of can't tell you exactly what was said. But uh, yeah. I'm sure you covered everything, as long as Carlina has everything that she needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, Matt, Matt, Matt if you want to mm-hmm. sit down, if Matt wants to sit down for a second, I'll uh, I'll inter- I'll yeah, uh, talk we'll to him for a brief couple one. minutes. <laughs> okay, then I'll just move this out. Right. That's all good. You stay here. Just okay. Second. Okay. Bye for now. Oh, bye for now. Thank you. <laughs> Hello again. Hello. <laughs> Ooh. Whoa, deafness here. Just turning down the sound because it was that's better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that went really well. And yeah, I was sorry I stepped out for a while because it was going well. So I just did some housework around. It. So yeah, yep. yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I, I want to hear from you. <laughs> I'm not really. I don't really have a, a question planned, but. Um, so what, from your perspective, um, you know, uh, you know, you reached out to me, um, because, you know, I have this, this podcast about the hero's journey and you, you saw a connection between it and, and, and your dad's story. So, um, so if you could just talk a little bit about that, like why you wanted to share his story or why you wanted to well, you know, connect us. Uh, I suppose because I also a fan of Joseph Campbell, like yourself, mm-hmm. uh, the hero's journey is very, uh, I think, you know, a very salient thing in uh, our storytelling, and I'm a storyteller by trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose I thought that he'd give you another angle as well. And also, it was opportune timing because I was setting up my podcast at the same time, yes. so it kind of worked into that kind of connection. Was probably primarily that first, and then I thought, oh, well, if you need someone to talk to, he'd might have an interesting story for you from a yeah. different time, you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, what was your perspective growing up? You know, as a, as a child, um, what, what what are some of the things that went through your mind um, when you were seeing your dad compete and you know against against the odds, against you know, despite having a, a disability? What kind of what <clears throat> what was it like for you as a child growing up seeing that? Well. I never saw him compete per se, and like anything, I think like every um, parent, uh, every child, uh, you look at your parent as that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, uh, you don't go, oh, that's amazing, or that's, oh, wow, because you have no, you don't have a, a perspective, anything different. It's, it's your father, that's your mother. Mm-hmm. And I think there's only, um, 
when you get older, you look back and go, yeah, that's pretty hard. That, that would have been difficult. And yeah, there's not many people like that. I suppose as a child, you were kind of always conscious that your father was different because people looked at him in the street and what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But that's probably the limit of it. And I think it's only as you get older, you look back and think, yeah, that's a good story. That's a life well, well lived. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there is there anything else that you want to share about your father or just anything in general? Um, I suppose he's like every father. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes he's really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also that that also might kind of. Uh, depend on the uh, age that you are at the time I have a teenager and um yep it's kind of I'm sure she loves me lots of times but doesn't <laughs> think so much of me a lot of the other times so right yeah I think it's that kind of yeah yeah <clears throat> well I just uh I really enjoyed talking to your dad and um just hearing his story and hearing you know the different things that you that you remember and having you know he's 91 and to to have the memory he did of being three years old in the hospital. I mean, that's just incredible. I mean, it's just, and it's, you know, incredible. That whole experience I'm sure was quite memorable, but, um, yeah, it, it was, it was really, it was really neat just kind of like walking down the timeline with him and, and hearing the different events that he remembers and, you know, and kind of what he thinks of them now. It's really cool mm. to hear. Um, yeah. You know, my, uh, my grandfather had polio, I think when he, because my grandfather was in World War II and the Korean War, and I think he got polio when he came back. I, I'm not quite sure, really? but, um, but he's, he, he would have been about the same age as your, um, as your father. He passed away, I think it was 10 years ago now, but, um, but that's, you know, one of the things that I wished I could have done when my grandfather was alive was sit across from him and just ask, you know, ask him questions about, about yeah. his life, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I sort of thought about him when I was talking to your dad. So, I'm, you know, yeah. I, I feel like that was a really special connection just to ask him about life, you know. Yeah, so. and look, he loved, I can tell that he loved talking to you. So <laughs> I think I – think, because that's a very important thing. As you get older, I think people um, – Still need everyone needs to to want to live. I think you have to um, have a feeling that you're you have something that people want to hear or something that's of interest. You're of interest to people. Right. I think that's really important in life. And yeah. I think that that's why he's lived so long. I think is partly because he's was always brought up. He had to be independent. There was no other options. Uh-huh. Uh, and also the fact that um, that you know that's keeping him involved in society. And so you know, uh, talking to you is kind of like involvement in society that people want to hear your story. So yeah. I think there's something that we could, should explore one day about, you know, our telling our own story and how that keeps us alive. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So, all right. Well, well, thank you for, thank for you. making this happen. And, um, I, I look forward to, to keeping in touch. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We are, yeah podcasters in spirit uh, though separated from by many 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 miles yes that's right (laughs) (laughs) well good good okay all right